0: On behalf of all the staff here at the Hendersonville Church of Christ, I want to wish all of you a Merry Christmas today. Also from uh, me and June, uh, we want to wish you uh, a Merry Christmas as well. I know the last two or three days have been a little difficult traveling around, a little cold. Uh, someone asked me, have you know you met with your family yet? And, and our family is not going to get together until next Saturday. And so we get to keep the Christmas tree up an extra week. Uh, Some of you may notice that I have a new look. Uh, Since I wasn't preaching uh, prior to this during the month of December, I decided to try and grow a beard to look like someone special today. And that someone special is not Mike Hickman. I know Mike thinks it is, but it's not. Uh, We'll see how it looks next week when my grandkids finally get in. But we are so glad to have you today. The gift. That's what we've been talking about all month. Uh, William began our series earlier, first Sunday of the month, talking about how do we keep that childlike wonder when it comes to the story of Jesus. He focused in on a text in Luke's gospel of where it says that Mary treasured up all of these things and pondered them in her heart. Mary somehow kept the childlike wonder that had happened when an angel came to her as a teenager and said, Guess what? You have been chosen to be the mother of the Messiah. He ended his lesson by taking us to a very popular uh, Christmas TV movie uh, called The Polar Express. And it's a story about childlike wonder. Now, what's interesting is the character here is never named in the movie. I was working on the lesson and I thought, I don't know the guy's name. And so I hopped online and I said, what is the character's name in The Polar Express? And the response was, the hero boy—that's what they call him. Now, if you go outside and go to some of the books that this particular movie's based on, he's actually called Chris, which is the name of the author uh, that the movie came from. But, but if you've watched it, I love the ending of it, and and William did such a great job as he took out that bell and he rang it, and of course in the story the question is, can you still hear the beautiful sound? Of the Bell of Christmas. He was followed with John Micah, and John Micah talked about the gift of the family of God. And he asked a very simple question What are people expecting, waiting for, anticipating? What can we as the people of God give this world, especially during this holiday season, but beyond the holiday season, year round? he challenged us to give them three things. Number one, to practice relentless love of our neighbor. And boy, isn't that the case? We need to do that. I hope as we enter into 2023, can you believe it? That we will be a church that practices the relentless love of neighbor. He said, number two, we need to practice reconciliation. It needs to begin with us. We need to be reconciled to God. We need to be reconciled with one another, but we also need to be teaching and preaching and bringing about reconciliation in the world. And then he ended with an odd one. I remember thinking when he got to that one, I was home watching online, sick with the flu. But but he got to his third point, and he said, if we're going to give the world anything, let's give it a gift that a lot of us may not think of as a gift except to ourselves. But he says, if we're going to minister to the world, we have got to be ministered to by God himself, which means we've got to learn to practice and live into Sabbath, into rest. We have got to have time in which we recharge our batteries in the presence of God himself in order to be the presence of God to the world. And then Stan last week talked about the gift of life. And I was sitting up in the top up here last week and, and he began to talk about how, you know, we all, let's, let's pause just for a moment and take some deep breaths. And the point that he was making is that when we breathe, we're actually carrying on something that began in the Garden of Eden. When God bit down in Genesis chapter 2, breathed into Adam's nostrils that he had created out of the dust of the ground, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and that breath continues in you and me today. I don't know if you've thought about that. But I mean, the fact that we take a breath, where did our breath come from? Our breath came from the fact that our mothers in the womb breathed for us. And as soon as we're born, we continue that breath. A breath that God first breathed in the very beginning and is still going on today. He went on to talk about the fact that the reason breath is so important is because the lifeblood in us. It, it needs that breath. It needs that oxygen. It takes it to all the major organs of the body. And he talked about how that, you know, life is in the blood, but it's in the blood because it's the blood that takes the life breath throughout our bodies. And then Stan threw up a heartbeat. And I mean, it was just beating across the screen, beating across the screen, beating across the screen, and then all at once stopped. And Stan talked about the fact that, you know what, we only have a certain amount of time. Up here on the stage is a clock. Clock he used as an illustration, saying, What are you going to use with the time God gives you? How are you going to use that precious gift of life that He's given? And the answer that He gave I thought was beautiful. He says, Let our heartbeat be the heartbeat of the love of God. I want to go back to a text that Mark Chopper read last week. Stan used it to kind of set up his lesson, but it's a beautiful setup for what I want to talk about today. Tony's already done a beautiful job in communion, kind of setting that up. But in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says this, as for you, you were dead. And the point being is that when that life breath ends, when the heartbeat stops, we are physically dead. But here he's talking about spiritual death, dead in your transgressions and sin. But you go down three verses and that love of God, that, that last picture we saw from last week's lesson, that love of God that God has that's so rich in mercy has made us alive with Christ. And that beautiful phrase there at the end, it is by grace you have been saved. Now the word I want to focus on today is that word saved. Like I said a few moments ago, Tony emphasized that a lot. All the way through his communion talk, he goes back to Luke chapter 2 and talked about the importance of the word saved, salvation, what God has given to us through Jesus. Now here's what's fascinating about that. You go back to Luke and you just start in Luke 1. And what's fascinating is how the Holy Spirit is constantly bringing us back to either this word or a form of it. It's quite astonishing. You go back, for instance, and and this is all about us having life, eternal life, the ultimate gift of God. And so, uh, let me just ask a question. I got ahead of myself just for a second. What do you want for Christmas? you remember answering that question throughout your life? I mean, when you were a kid, how did you answer the question, what do you want for Christmas? And my guess was you answered it with a Sears Christmas book that had come in the mail. If not Sears, now Target or Walmart. We were up in Ohio just uh, about a month ago, and June was sitting on the couch, and on one side was our grandson, Grant. On the other side was our grandson, Garrett. and, And they had the Target toy book. And they had already gone through it with highlighters, okay? They had gone through, and June is looking, and every page, guess what? Had something highlighted. I want this, 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 I want this. I mean, they're just going through showing Gigi all the things they wanted for Christmas. Now, what's fascinating is how that changes. You remember when you went off to college, or maybe just went off to start work after high school? And your parents would say, what do you want for Christmas? Aunt and uncles, grandparents, what do you want for Christmas? And my answer was always this, I want something green. Right? Because when you're struggling to pay your bills in college, green is what you want more than anything else. So as long as it's green, it's good. And oftentimes that's exactly what we would get. But then we get older. And when we get older, that question becomes more difficult to answer. I mean, one of my sons called me up just the other day, and he said, Dad, what do you and Mom want for Christmas? And asking us what we want for Christmas is kind of like asking where we're going to eat after church on Sunday morning. Y'all ever have that problem? Where are we going to eat today? You know, church is over. Where are we going to eat? I don't know. I don't know. I don't care. I don't care. I've always thought if someone opened up a restaurant named I don't know or I don't care, they could make a fortune. Everybody wants to eat there, right? And that's meant really kind of the way we are when it comes to Christmas presents as we get older. My response is this, son, if mom and I want it, guess what? We've already got it, you say. Now, let me rephrase the question, and then we'll look at Luke chapter 1. What if the question is not, what do you want for Christmas? What if the question is instead, what do you want? Need for Christmas? Would that change your answer? Luke chapter 1. Zechariah is an old priest. He's married to Elizabeth. They're both from the tribe of Levi, they're from the family of Aaron. Uh, he serves at the temple, and, and one day he's at the temple. He's been chosen by lot to go in and burn incense. And so he's over by the curtain that leads into the Holy of Holies. He's burning incense to the Lord when all at once, something appears next to him. It's an angel. And it absolutely scares the daylights out of him, as it always does in the Bible. The angel says to him, it's Gabriel, he says, listen... He says, I've got some great news for you. Your wife, Elizabeth, is going to conceive. She's going to bring forth a son, and you are to give him the name John. Zechariah, of course, knows he's old, she's old. This is Abraham and Sarah all over again. And so his question is this, how can I know for sure what you're telling me is going to happen? I mean, we're pretty old. And Gabriel says, because you've doubted. God's still going to fulfill His promise. But because you're doubted, you're not going to be able to speak until the child is born. And of course, Zechariah comes out. He's making hand motions. He can't talk. Before long, Mary comes down, and she's there during a period of the pregnancy. And finally, John is born. And the question, of course, is what is his name? And the family comes together, and they're going to name him after Zechariah. And and Elizabeth says, no, his name is John. And, and of course, you see the respect that women had at that point. Everybody says, oh, ask Zechariah what he wants to name him. And Zechariah takes out a, a writing pad and he writes down, his name is John. And with that, his tongue is all at once open. He can talk. And he begins to praise God. Look at what he says. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. Why? Because he has come to his people and redeemed them. And then notice the language there. He's raised up a horn of salvation. Going back to the text there in Ephesians chapter 2. A horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets so long ago. Salvation he brings it again from our enemies and, the hand, and from the hand of all who hate us. Salvation. Interesting thing for him to bring up. Then you skip over to Luke chapter 2, to the text that Tony read a few moments ago. I mean, Mary and Joseph, they come down to Bethlehem. It comes time for Jesus to be delivered. There's no room, of course, anywhere in Bethlehem. They're in a stable. Jesus is born. He's, he's wrapped in place in a feeding trough. And out on the hillside are shepherds keeping their sheep. I've been to Bethlehem, very hilly. I mean, the hills are rugged there. And boy, this is a beautiful picture of what they would have looked like. And so here's the shepherds, and they're keeping watch over their sheep at night. And all at once, the glory of the Lord shines all around them. And and I don't know if the angel is Gabriel or a different angel who speaks, but an angel speaks to them the very words That Tony read just a few moments ago. Do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And then this angel begins to describe the son that has been born. But what's fascinating is the words that he uses. I mean, he calls him Messiah. He calls him the Lord. But notice the very first word he calls him. Today in the town of David, a savior. Why Savior? I mean, why not Messiah? That's who he is. He's the Messiah. Why not Lord? Why not King of Kings, Lord of Lords? All the different titles he would eventually have. But the one the angel begins with is that of Savior. Now you switch over this time to later on in chapter 2. Mary and Joseph leave Bethlehem to go up to Jerusalem because every firstborn son has to be redeemed. And so they go up to make the appropriate offerings there in the temple. And as they go in the temple, they meet two fascinating people. One is an old prophetess named Anna. Anna's 84 years old. And she comes up and she begins to tell everyone who's been waiting for the consolation of Israel, here he is, here he is. But it's an old man by the name of Simeon. That's most amazing in the story. Simeon comes up to them. And Simeon, for some reason, and I don't even know why. I think sometimes we read the text so fast, we don't even pause to think about it. But God had told Simeon, you will not die until you see the Lord's Messiah. I mean, what was it about this man? That God has said, you are so special, I'm going to allow you to see something that the rest of the world would just love to get a glimpse of. And of course, what he says is, you're going to see the Lord's Messiah. And he comes up to Mary and Joseph and takes the little baby in his arms, and then he begins to pray to God. And once again, look at the message. Sovereign Lord, as you've promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. Why? For my eyes have seen yours. Salvation. I mean, horn of salvation, salvation, Savior, now your salvation. All of these words like a thread running through the storyline. But it's Mary and Joseph that it gets the most interesting when it comes to this word saved, which of course leads to life. When God appears to Mary... Uh, in Luke chapter 1, here's what the angel, Gabriel, says to her. Do not be afraid, again, every time, that's what they begin with. You've found favor with God, you'll conceive, give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. Again, don't read the text that fast. Sometimes we make that mistake. You're going to give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. What's interesting about this is the fact that the angel says, here's the name you're to give him. Just out of curiosity, who named your children? I mean, did you let the doctor do it? What about the nurse who helped the doctor? I mean, who do we we get to name our children? Jen and I have two sons. What did we do? Just kind of open a book, stick our finger in, and say, there's the name? No. We as parents, we think, we we talk, we reflect, we look through books. We're trying to figure out what is the name we're going to give our son or our daughter. Now, we've got two sons. June and I had always said if we had two daughters, the first one's name would be April and the second would be May. Since I'm married to June. I hope you all see the point. And you all are thinking... Now we know why God didn't give you daughters. That's exactly right. But when it came to boys, the first son, I wanted to name after me. Now I know some of you thinking, no, you didn't. Not Les, Leslie. My my first name is Leslie. I would never put that on on a son. But instead, my middle name is Scott. And so we began with Scott. We're going to name him Scott. We've got to get a name to go with Scott. And so we start going through all the names in the book. You know, David Scott. Well, that's not too bad. You know, maybe would like a Brent Scott. Yeah, that's Blake Scott. I mean, you know, we finally got to Robert Scott and we thought, that's it. And so our oldest son is Rob. All because we wanted to give him my middle name. Our youngest son, we wanted to give him a Bible name. And we settled with the name Andrew. And so we began to do the same thing. What goes with Andrew? And I throw out a name, and June would go, "Oh no, 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 no! I, I, there's a kid at church named that. I don't, I don't want that. You know, you know how that works. You know, my cousin was named that. I, I don't want to name him that. You know. And we finally came to Kyle Andrew, and we said, oh, that sounds good." Now, what's interesting is both of our boys, we begin with their middle names, but call them by their first names. But we did that. My mom and dad didn't do it. June's mom and dad didn't do it. I didn't allow the doctor to do it, and you probably didn't either. And yet here, the angel says, he'll be called Jesus. And if you're not careful, you think, wow, Mary and Joseph weren't allowed to name their son. No, Joseph wasn't, but the real father was. You see, this name came from God himself. And what's fascinating is that when you turn over to Matthew's account, you get the exact same message. We don't know if this is Gabriel. The text doesn't tell us. It very likely is. But he comes to Matthew in a dream. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. God has overshadowed her. The Spirit of God has come upon her. She'll give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Same name. Given first to Mary months earlier and now to Joseph right before he's born. Why? Why the name Jesus? And what's fascinating is that he tells us. The angel says to Joseph, because he will save his people. I I love that language. He will save his people. You see, in the Greek, the name is Jesus. They don't have a J in Greek. You don't have a J in ancient Hebrew. J is an English letter. And, and so in greek it's jesus that that i and e gets a he sound now jesus comes from either the hebrew or the aramaic word and there's two names possibly here one is yeshua or Yehoshua, and, and we don't know exactly which one jesus was called because both of them are translated in greek as jesus and both of them mean basically the same thing Uh, Yeshua means salvation, and Yehoshua means the Lord saves. Either way, once again, the theme is salvation. Salvation from what? And that's what the text tells us. Salvation from what? Salvation from their sins. Because let's be honest... It's our sins that's messed everything up. It's my sins that mess everything up in my life. You probably say the same thing in your life. It's my sins that unfortunately mess up some things in June's life and some things in my kid's life. I mean, sin has this pervasive power to mess up things at the office, to mess up things at work, to mess up things in our homes, in our churches. And what's the hope for the world? to find salvation from that sin in one named Jesus. John 3.16. John takes that concept of salvation and embeds it in a word. You know, John begins with these words, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. Stan talked last week about the gift of bios, physical life. But he pointed us at the end that there's a better life than that. John uses a different word, not bios. We get the word biology from it, from Zoe. And it is Zoe that we have in the golden text of the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only, O King James, his only begotten, that whoever believes in him should not perish, should not die, should not come to an end, but have eternal so a eternal life. And so, let me begin or end the sermon where I began with a question. What does God want from you for Christmas? You see, we always ask, you know, what, what do our kids want? What do our grandkids want? What do you know our, our, our siblings want? What do our parents want? We ask everyone in the world... Except the one who's most important to ask, and that, was, that is, what does God want? And the answer to that question is simple. He wants you to put your faith in the one gift that changed the world. You know, we've been putting some gifts up here, and I want to put the last one up. And it's simply a name. Starts with J E S. U.S. Jesus. And if there's anything that God wants from you for Christmas, it is for you to put your faith, your hope, give your life to the one who can save you from your sins. And that one is Jesus. And so today, if you have a need, why not give your life, give God the ultimate gift you could give him this, this very day, which is the gift of your love, your commitment, your dedication to His Son, who He named Jesus. If we can help you, come right now. Let's gather. We stand and sing.